Man, my heart goes out to those uh, women specifically and also the men supporting them in Afghanistan fighting against the Taliban for the taste of individual rights and freedom that America gave them when we were occupying their country. And now they're going to be fighting and dying for something that quite frankly, is going to take generations to realize. And that's because Abrahamic religions are a cancer that has to be cut out. And the only tool you have are generational lives. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It's great to have you. It is uh, September the 12th. That's right. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I got a great show for you this week. In The Devil's Advocate, we're going to be talking about one of the articles from the April 11th, 1971 Letters from the Devil article that uh, uh, the late... <laughs> Do you even need to say that at this point? The late... Anton LaVey wrote back in the day. Um, it's a little bit of fun and empowerment and uh, goofiness mixed in. Kind of the stuff I love. In the Infernal Informant, FBI releases 911, the 9-11 investigation documents that scrutinizes Saudis. Prepare to be disappointed. And uh, the second article today is uh, New Yorkers react to Biden's vaccine mandate. It's going against everyone's will. End quote. Okay, we're going to close this out with Creature Feature of Empire of the Summer Moon. I'm halfway through, but I felt like I should still talk about it because I learned some shit that I didn't know, and I am blown away. It's fantastic. So we're going to talk about that eventually. We'll get there. We're going to pace ourselves. You know what I mean? We're going to start out with uh, Zachary. How you doing? Thanks for joining live, man. Always good to see you. William, thanks for the emails. I appreciate it. Uh, dude sent me images of a post-World War One, pre-World War II field manual that I think is, I think it said his grandfather had, which is kind of cool. So I appreciate that. Fareed, how you doing? Thanks for joining live. The Pursuit of Ecstasy. I am glad that you could join us live for the first time. Hopefully there are more to come. Valeria, how are you, my dear? It's always great to see you. Uh, Jordan, what's up? Thanks for joining live. And uh, what else we got? Lazarus, what up? Jason, how you doing? Sapphire Rose, what is happening? Sean, how you doing? And of course, Jeff, my man, how you doing? Great to see you. Thanks for joining, man. I appreciate you. Okay. Achilles, what's up? All right, I, I got I got some stuff to unload, <laughs> to push out gently but firmly. <laughs> Gross. Uh, before we dive into today's show. Um, 
my buddy Joe Redbeard. You guys know him. He he's featured in some of the Evil Live board game episodes. He was also a staple of the early Satanists on Satanic Cinema live shows that we were doing. Uh, anyway, he and I have uh, collaborated on a hiking podcast called Kickin' Rocks Podcast. Not so much of a podcast, if I'm being honest, more of a video presentation, <laughs> you know, like like video episodes than a, like a narrative podcast. But we're collaborating on that. The first episode is going to drop on the 15th, which I believe is like a Wednesday. Um, so if you're interested in hiking and outdoors and stuff, maybe check it out. If you're not interested in it, skip it. <laughs> it's definitely not going to be for you because that's kind of what it's all about. Tomorrow, uh, Cameron and I are going to be getting together for a Satanist on Cinema. We're going to be talking about the new Candyman, which came out a couple weeks ago. I needed processing after watching it because I was experiencing some, some, some feels, some uh, conflicting ideas. You know, you go from... I don't want to blow my load because we're going to be talking about tomorrow. But you go from someone like Clive Barker who has a definitive vision about this seductive tragedy. The, uh, 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 a, um, a true villain who is only villainous because of the perspective of the society witnessing him. Who is only called to murder because of those foolish enough to do so. It's not like a Jason who just, you know, whoever happens to be nearby or a, a, um, a Freddy Krueger who it's the children of the, the parents that burned him alive or anything like that. This is someone that's trying to, in one hand, continue a narrative uh, of terror on those stupid enough to invoke his name but simultaneously present a, a, a modern-day fairy tale. And, and not only to, to continue his line of existence, but also pro propel the next generation of terror. There's a lot that goes into it. This film kind of twisted that up a little bit. I'm a little bit conflicted. I'm still even now talking about it before we talk about it tomorrow in detail. I'm not sure how I feel because there was a lot thrown in. You know, Clive Barker is this homosexual man who has this really wonderful way of marriaging fantastical magic with horror and um, uh, the sense of lived fantasy that I don't know any other author that is capable of. And I know some people would say, you know, authors like Stephen King, but they never, Stephen King never resonated with me in the same way that Clive Barker did. There's, there's a sensual, sexual over or undertone to nearly every story he's ever written. And you marriage that with horror. And there's something about that that really resonates with me. The sexuality and the horror combined really, really well. In only a way Clive Barker can do it. So you hand it off to a genuinely talented director or producer team. And though they are wildly capable of creating amazing stories on their own, they're carrying a legacy that has been established. And I'm not entirely sure that they lived up to it. 
But we'll get into that tomorrow if you're interested. Um, I had a physical this past week before we dive in. For those of you who want to hear about my asshole and my balls, um, not really, but <laughs> I appreciate it, Basilius. I'm actually having a real hard time with my image lately. So hearing that or reading it, I appreciate it. Um, I went in for my physical and my, my doctor is this woman from Ghana who is brilliant and um, she's just someone who sort of eases tension and you know she's the doctor I had for my vasectomy was this really old guy and it ended up being a nightmare of an experience specifically because of him and I talked a lot of shit about his son being in the Air Force which probably wasn't a good idea between before he took a scalpel to my balls but it's the Air Force it's not really service <laughs> I mean if you're comparing if you're comparing service and you're taking like the Marine Corps and the Army and the Navy and the Air Force, there's definitely ones that stand out as like, oh, that's hardcore. And that's kind of like, that's a dorm room. <laughs> so probably wasn't the greatest idea for me to talk shit about his son's Air Force service before he took a scalpel to me, but I did. And I genuinely feel like I suffered for it. So, lesson learned. Um, what was my point <laughs> in bringing that up? I chose this specific doctor because, one, it wasn't an old crotchety male. It was a female. Young. She's younger than I am. Um, and a completely different world cultural experience. And so I felt that if I went to her, then she would have a completely different view than I did. And of course, she does. And I appreciate it. I really genuinely like that. That being said, I go in for my physical and I know my blood work's going to come up with high LDL. I have always had high LDL. Last year, she sent me in for a whole bunch of tests to make sure I wasn't going to have a heart attack. And true to form, I work out every fucking day. So I'm healthy. I just have high LDL and there's not cholesterol, which is no matter what I've done, I can't seem to get it to like normal levels. So I proposed to her this time that this was a genetic issue and it has nothing to do with actual heart health. And um, she kicked back a, a little bit on my uneducated opinion, but I appreciated that. And then she brought up something that genuinely rocked my fucking world. She said, what do you think about stopping drinking? And my reaction was, without even thinking or anything, I was, I was like, that terrifies me. And that put her back on her heels. And she was like, well, what do you mean? That terrifies you. That, that's not the response I was expecting. Can you please extrapolate about that? Like, what do you mean that terrifies you? And so I went in this dissertation about how I grow my own grapes and hops. And, you know, I, part of who I, part of how I see myself is someone who makes and appreciates wine and beer and liquor. And, you know, we do group tasting sessions and, you know, we're, we're, we're comparing and contrasting. And it's a part of my lifestyle, like literally from my home garden to my liver, which by the way, all the tests came back fantastic. I have a great liver. It's working out, it's working out fine for me thus far. Um, so there's no, nothing that gives her any pause about my health except for my high LDL. And my alcohol use, and I have a history, like my, my father died 
um, from medical conditions exacerbated and caused by his alcoholism. Um, you know, I have family members that struggle with alcoholism. I struggle with alcohol use. I don't dare call it alcoholism because that puts it on a whole different mental framework that terrifies me again because I don't like the way I was able to stop smoking cigarettes and I actually stopped smoking cigars too um, for, for like months, like six months now. Um, it's because I don't see myself as I just stopped seeing myself as a smoker. Like that was literally the, the simplest thing. I was like, part of my identity is having a cigarette in my hands and smoking. And once I broke that sense of identity, it was really easy for me to stop smoking. I'm not willing or ready to do that for alcohol. Like when I thought my health was in jeopardy last year on my last physical, I stopped cold turkey and I was like, I don't want to smoke any, or I'm, I'm sorry, I don't want to drink anymore because I'm going to die. Self-preservation is the highest law here, people. And so I just stopped and it wasn't an issue until, you know, I got all my results from my tests back and I had a firmer grasp of what was going on. Then, you know, I started drinking again. I realized it's not a problem for my health. So my doctor admits that she's not worried about my health now. She's worried about me in the future. And she's like, look, I don't want to... I don't want to put too much weird, heavy stuff in your mind, but Utah is able to do some psychological work through cybocillin and um, um, what's the other drug? Um, uh, I can't remember the name of the other drug, but basically it's using like mushrooms or distilled essence of psychedelic drugs, which is approved in psych um, psychiatric treatment here in Utah now, finally which is a above the board way of doing what I've been doing for, for years on my own. Um, and the truth is it's covered by my, um, um, my healthcare. I don't know that I want to stop drinking. And I know that it ultimately means that it's the one, it is the sole factor of why I have the weight gain issues that I struggle with. It's the sole factor that why I have the health issues that I struggle with. It's drinking. I'm just, I can't, I can't get over that hurdle of wanting to stop when my health is not in jeopardy. Because in my head, I'm thinking, why? If there's not a detriment being shown to my consumption, the amount that I consume, if, if I'm not um, compulsively drinking, right? I'm indulging, but it's not a compulsion that's affecting my health. If I am indulging and it's not this compulsive thing that's hurting me, why the fuck should I stop? The, my parents told me that I should never drink when I was a child because Jesus didn't want you to. Well, fuck Jesus. What does that have to do with my health? What does that have to do with anything? That's the worst reason to tell anyone to not do anything ever. So zero that out. So what other reason is there? If it's not health and fuck Jesus, then what a potential future that I should be concerned about? I don't know, man. I, I really struggle with this a lot. And I understand that ultimately my overall health would be improved, but I'm not suffering any detriments to the amount that I'm drinking now. And so if I just continue down that road, what's the fucking problem? 
Why is there this idea out there that you have to abstain from something that doesn't actively harm your health just so that you can have this sort of good guy badge that you have better health than random dude number seven down the street? I don't understand that. Like, as soon as I think that there's a health factor, I stop. As soon as there's cleared up that there's not a health factor, why the fuck should I stop doing something that I enjoy that does not actively harm me? You can argue that it incrementally harms me, but I have a great fucking liver, liver chemistry right now. Like, I'm, I'm processing what I need to process. I don't know. It's something I'm struggling with. And the fact that she had such a straightforward answer to it, because I know, I know for a fact, if I went to the psychiatrist and they walked me through the psychedelic fucking <laughs> psychiatry, I would come out on the other end never drinking again and probably feeling good about it. But I don't want to. I just, I, I don't, I don't fucking want to. So why the fuck should I? You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm having this real struggle with conforming to what other people want out of my health versus what I want out of my experience in life. You know, I'm halfway through this thing <laughs> called life. I, I shit the bed on the first half. If I'm being a hundred percent honest, like my up until my twenties, it was a nightmare of drugs and alcohol abuse. That was just shameful. But I picked it up from my 20s and cleaned it up into my 40s, and I'm good right now. So why should I continue to change? Like, who am I trying to impress? I don't understand that. So that's my life I'm fighting with. Um, my wife killed another chicken. <laughs> totally out of context. Springing that on you. We had a chicken who was slowly suffering from something that we are either uneducated enough to understand or it was just the, literally the last of the, the um, pecking order. And it just, it, you know, it was the last to get food. Pecking order for chickens is the strongest. Might is right rules in the chicken kingdom. You got to remember where they came from, people. They were T-Rexes. Now they're chickens. But their ferocity has not diminished with time. I'm telling you. These things are insane. They are mean to each other. It is a full-blown Midas right world that chickens live in. And this one just happened to be at the bottom of that pecking order. And so it suffered nutritionally. It was picked on continuously. And it got to a point my wife just started calling it Frankenstein because it looked like a monster. It looked like this, you know, like some random mad scientist decided to put together a chicken and didn't know what they were doing, you know? And that's what it ended up being. And it got to a point where it was just actively dying right before us. And so we had to fucking kill it. Um, and it's one of those things where you, you never want to do it, but you're, you're doing it for the sake of the suffering animal, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's one thing if you're just like some sicko who likes to go out and kill animals. It's one thing if you're a hunter. <laughs> <laughs> you can be a sicko who likes to go out and kill animals, but at least you're consuming the animal. If you just like to go kill things, you're just a, a crazy person.
But in this particular case, we love these chickens. They give us eggs that we literally consume or give to our friends. It's a symbiotic relationship. They fertilize my lawn. They take care of bug problems. Like they, they help us. We give them a good life. They have full range of my rather large backyard. And so they're happy. We're happy until one of them isn't. And then it sucks because you have to deal with it, you know? Um, she killed the first chicken. I killed the second, and now she killed the third. And uh, it always sucks, you know, killing animals that you've taken care of. Especially when you know that if the flock would have taken... Flock, I don't know if you'd call chicken groups a flock, but if the flock would have accepted them more, or if maybe they were more aggressive, you know, whatever, however the numbers play out, it didn't have to end this way, but it did. And she was like, completely pale it, it it honestly looked to me like a vampire was coming and sucking her dry every night because as soon as my wife cut off her head not only was she pale beforehand like she was she turned from a healthy looking chicken three years ago to a ghost of a chicken when we killed her she didn't have like hardly any blood in her body so I don't know whether it was like massive parasites or whether it was like some crazy vampire coming in the middle of the night, sucking her dry. Um, she was suffering. Like there was something seriously wrong. And my wife wanted to kill her months ago and I held off. I was like, no, she'll get better. Things will be fine. I don't want you just killing chickens because you think they're sick. Truth be told in reflection, she probably should have died months ago. She's been suffering for a long time. And it just sucks because they're your friends, you know? Like, you call to them and they come running to you. I mow my lawn and they follow me because my mowing disturbs, like, like insects and moths and stuff that they chase after. Plus, it's easier for them to get little cut-up um, grass and, and just consume it that way. So it's just, you know, it's like they're your friends. Having to kill your friend sucks. <laughs> what? That's part of having livestock, you know? You got to do it from time to time. All right, the final story I want to talk about before we dive into the show, which I'm way past due to do, past due to do, is um, we went Halloween store visiting, and it was great. It's always great. Part of what I love about the lead-in to October is that in September, and, you know, in some cases late August, but in September you get a really sort of dive into the Halloween vibe. First of all, the temperature has been changing slightly. And so we're getting a little bit closer to fall weather. You know, as soon as the air quality, like today and yesterday, the air quality has been fantastic. So we've had all the windows open. Uh, we can actually see the mountain ranges that are right behind us. So that's fantastic. Um, but just the smell of the earth and the storms and the soil and the rain it's getting me in the mood. You know, I, this past Monday, last Labor Day, I um, took a sugar pumpkin out of my garden, roasted it, created the pumpkin puree from it, created two pumpkin pies, and then kept some of the, the puree for my beer that I started. And uh, next week, I'm going to do a secondary with all the pumpkin pulp and the pumpkin spices and stuff. But it's this Oktoberfest starter kit which has a bunch of really great grains to go with it mixed in with the malt um it's going to be delicious but i got in that fall mood by making it right paid off by going and uh, hitting these halloween stores and 
I am 100% in Halloween mode now. It's just the greatest season <laughs> that there is. Fall. It's fantastic. So my wife and I are going to dress up. We dress up every year. But this year we're going to dress up. I'm going to be Jack Skellington and she's going to be Sally. We got these really nice outfits. I'm going to look like nice dash and debonair. She's going to look super fucking sexy. It's going to be badass. So I'll share those images with you as soon as we have those. But I'm looking forward to it. Do you guys look forward to Halloween? It's great, right? I just I dig it so much. All right. I've shit. <laughs> I've shit. I've talked shit enough. Let's dive into uh, the devil's advocate. second guessing i don't know if i have an image for this okay well meh. <laughs> a little on the nose all right so this specific uh letter it's not long it's not extravagant it's basically from a girl named becky r from dallas texas and she's writing into letters from the devil or the doctor's faking her writing into the letters from the devil because let's be honest he did that from time to time okay either case Becky R. from Dallas, Texas is writing in to uh, um, the doctor to ask about help. She feels that her girlfriend, a friend of her that is a girl, has put a curse on her. And now she is madly in love with this friend and she wants to have sexual relations with her. But she thinks the idea of doing this is wrong. And so she has lost herself in alcohol and drugs trying to stop herself from feeling these sexual emotions that she's convinced are caused by a curse that her friend has put on her and um, she has tried other magical spells and she tried magical incantations to stop this so drugs alcohol magical spells incantations nothing is working she's finally reaching out to the devil himself on earth <laughs> and on the bay and saying please please remove this like i tell me give me a spell that i can use that will stop me from feeling the way i'm feeling and anton levey if anyone has ever at any point in their life thought that there is not a progressive bone in the church of Satan's back. Clearly, you've never looked into Satanism. But Satanism is the first religion that has ever championed homosexuality and trans individuality. Ever, right? From the beginning, from go. In 1971, Anton LaVey is telling this woman, I understand that you have a perception that homosexuality is bad or dirty or wrong. But you're wrong. It's not. You like this woman. She didn't curse you. You're feeling the way you're feeling because you're rejecting your natural, like, will, your natural mind. I have a better idea than a magical spell for you, he puts out. Instead, 
just talk to her. Explain how you feel. And if she agrees, then you could experience, I'm extrapolating a little here, you can experience something magical between the two of you. And if she rejects you, then at least you know and the curse will be over. And you can move on to something else. But this is not stemming from a curse that she laid on you. This is stemming from your inability to recognize your natural self. And that is a homosexual woman attracted to another woman that is a friend. And there is something magical in the 1970s to have the Church of Satan high priest tell you that I don't want your money, I don't want to give you spells, I don't want to give you anything. I want you to look at yourself and accept you for who you are. And we're the bad guys. We're the bad guys. Christians and other Abrahamic religions are murdering. They're actively stoning women, taking rocks and throwing at them until they die, which takes hours. I timed it once. <laughs> like, that's what the good guys are doing. And the bad guys are saying, no, accept who you are. There's nothing wrong with it. Love who you want to love. There's nothing wrong with it. And you're going to find immense joy and satisfaction and peace of mind. You're going to have a healthier and happier life. And we're the bad guys. <laughs> what the fuck? Blows me away. I just, I, I wanted to bring this out because, again, we get mired in politics. As much as the Church of Satan as an organization does not support any given political viewpoint it's entirely up to individual satanists um, to figure out where their own minds are individual satanists do share their ideas and there's this projected sensibility that if x amount of satanists feel x way then i as a burgeoning satanist must also feel that way or else i am somehow not a satanist that is entirely untrue satanism is all about individualism and in the same way that we are at a moment right now that is very tribal, much more tribal than it ever was when I was a kid. That's for damn sure. I mean, I sat in on, on political conversations in my family and with my family and um, like friends of theirs. It was nothing like it is today. Nothing. Um, it is so divisive right now that you can equate gender identity or sexual identity with a political cause nowadays and that's insane to me that like the three things have nothing to do with each other like nothing at all and yet they seem to be tied as satanists we have to be able to divorce these manufactured connections because there is no connection between political ideology sexual orientation or gender identity they are completely separate and they're completely individual up to the individual and as satanists we have a history of recognizing and respecting an individual making choices in their own lives now you start projecting that on other people then you got a problem but up until you that's great 
We've always been that way. You can be a conservative and be homosexual. You can be a conservative and be trans. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that you are connecting with who you actually are and how you actually think. That's it. There's literally no other judgment that matters. Other Satanists, who gives a fuck about them? And other Christians? Fuck them. Fuck Jesus. All that matters is that you accept who you actually are. Not who you want to be, not who you aspire to be, not, not who you dream one day to finally be, but who you actually are. Find out if there are improvements to be made and work at making them. And if you have flaws that you feel like you should get rid of, then work at it. And if not, who cares? It's not a competition life. It's all about how you feel about how you act and what you do. No one's cursing you to make you feel a certain way. You're doing it. And here's the final rub I want to put on this. It's sort of, you know, before we throw in the smoker, I want to pack in a nice spicy, peppery, sugar, black, uh, I'm sorry, brown sugar rub on top of this whole commentary. I've cursed people. Some of them have been wildly effective, and some of them, eh, maybe not as much. I don't do it often, literally twice in my entire life. And I've seen results both times, but I don't chalk it up to any sort of magical significance I have. It's because of the person. They do it to themselves. And so as a Satanist, if you understand and live your life by the balance factor and you understand through greater magic the combination lock principle, it doesn't matter if someone else curses you or hates you or actively works against you. You can still rise above it all because you have a solid grounding in you. And all that external stuff, it's noise doesn't matter you can tune it out it's a choice all right what do you guys think here you guys are still talking about halloween <laughs> seeing yourself in a philosophical mirror for the first time and expecting it to look like everyone else see and that's that's a great point zachary we're actually this is where our culture and I can't really speak to cultures outside of America because I'm just not informed enough. I'm, I'm too ignorant about it. But American culture is very much based around mimicking what others are doing. And if you don't do that, if you do stand on your own feet, sometimes, rarely, but sometimes people will respect that and they'll sort of, you know, give you your space. But most of the time, they're going to deride you. They're going to talk shit about you. They're going to try to drag you down because you're not trying to chase the same image that they're trying to chase, whatever that may be, right? As Satanists, we have to reject this wholesale acceptance of societal norms. We have to embrace th this idea that norms are what the individual decides, not what the culture drives. And it's important to understand that difference because you can get lost in it. 
we're products of our culture. We have to be able to not be forgetful of past orthodoxies. By doing that, it provides perspective so that we can see different aspects of an idea, of a movement, of a projected sensibility. It's that perspective that's going to allow us to derive our own third side view of the situation, that third side perspective. You can't do it if you just go along or if you're chasing something else. You have to be able to stand on your own two feet. And I know it sounds like it should be a simple thing, but I got to be honest, it's not. It is hard. It takes, <laughs> it takes courage, individual courage. It, it takes a little humility because you have to recognize your own faults, which is very challenging for a lot of people. I know it is for me, but for a lot of people, it's a very challenging thing. But it's important, you know? All right. So many babies being thrown out with the bathwater these days. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, so many babies, like your individuality. In the, and ironically, in the pursuit of a sense of individuality, <laughs> you're literally throwing it out with the bathwater just so that you can feel like you connect with others who have a sense of individuality that you're trying to sort of, you know, ride their coattails with. As Satanists, we know better. It, we fall into our own little pitfalls, but at least we're aware enough to pick ourselves out of them and not just continue down this weird tumble cycle of ignorance. Morality is more so constraints that society places around one's neck as a means to lead us around. See, that's interesting because morality is very much a result of how you were raised, who you were raised by, and where you were raised, right? So not just regions, you know, in sort of like the United States specifically, religions that you were raised in, right? If your parents adhered to any specific ethnic ideas, even if that ethnic idea is white, baloney like mine you're taught those moralities and those tales of morality and and they're sort of just driven into you and you can actually pull back this whole abrahamic idea of morality and that's what becomes so troubling is because you equate numbers of believers with truth and there's no scientific evidence holding that up to any inspection because more people think one way does not make it right it just means there's more sheep in the field you know morality may be taught but we have to be smart enough to use that scalpel and carve out the bits that mean something and take the ones that don't out again not an easy thing to always do but it's something we have to work toward because this individual sense of morality that we have as human animals is very different, very different than this religious morality the Abrahamic religions are pushing on us. Um, a curse is a blessing if you have the mindset to turn it into one, especially when it comes from another person's attention. Ah, that's interesting. And I would have to say, uh, Pursuit of Ecstasy, it takes a very, it has to take an introspective individual who is aware that the curse was placed on them 
to turn those tables like that. But I like, I like the concept underneath that. That's really great. Okay, let's dive into uh, a little Infernal Informant. Glasses. <clears throat> FBI releases 9-11. I don't have the right image up. Give me a second here, people. I don't know if you know. Do, um, do millennials know about 9-11? It's funny when you're raised in a culture for your entire existence that has been embroiled in a war overseas that you have never heard anything about because no one's ever talked about it until they withdraw from that war. And then you're like, wait a second, there's a war? Well, what was it for? Two towers fell? Doesn't seem so bad, right? There's this weird sense of identity for someone who did not live through the falling of those two towers than there is for everyone else who did. It's a completely different concept because until that happened, the United States was never subject to the chaos of the greater world at large. Never. There were little small things, like bombings that, that didn't really have global impact, but nothing on the scale of 9-11, right? And so as soon as 9-11 happened, it was a paradigm shift for America. It completely changed everything that Americans ever thought about, not only themselves as a nation, but the global uh, uh, um, the engagement of the world at large and their impact on us. It was never considered before. And this may just be my, my reading of it, but... I think it's pretty much played out by the reaction and the history um, of 9-11. But um, yeah, so 9-11 was a situation where in the aftermath, um, America went on the full offense. And it was, it was propagandized in order to um, generate revenue for corporations, to seize natural resources in addition to pretending to find those who are responsible. Um, but more than anything, it was American imperialism at its finest. Who cares about others' sovereignty? We're going to use this as an excuse to do whatever the fuck we want, and every other NATO ally is going to go along with it because we had two buildings crumble. Yeah, that's what happened. The goal of the 9-11 hijackers that crashed those planes into the World Trade Center was to disrupt America, uh, American institutions. And they were wildly successful. Not only did it spawn the Patriot Act and the future... Um, uh, um, 
why can't I? I'm, I'm like losing my mind here with words here. Um, the re-signing of the Patriot Act after it expired. It tacitly approved complete surveillance of every American at any time for any reason. And it's a thing now. It's against the law, still to this day, but it's an accepted norm. You can thank the Bush presidency for that and the 9-11 hijackers for that. Um, TSA, inspecting you before every flight, you can thank bin Laden for that. That was not a normal thing. You may walk through a metal detector, but that was the extent of it. You didn't have to take your belt off or take your shoes off or, you know, separate liquids from everything. It didn't fucking matter. You could have family walk to you to the gate before you boarded the actual plane, hug you and say goodbye at the gate, and then wave to you as your plane is taking off from the gate. Not anymore. Thanks, Bin Laden. <laughs> so he was successful. He did exactly what he wanted to do. And here's the rub. America was warned about it. Bush was warned about it. And they didn't do shit. They didn't believe it until it happened when he was sitting in front of a kindergarten class reading a fucking book to them. Surprising to me that he could read children's books because he's that stupid of a human. People talk shit about Donald Trump. Donald Trump did not put us in a forever fucking war. George Bush did. Donald Trump is a fucking idiot. But George Bush is like an idiot on steroids. He is next level fucking dumb. Well, we make excuses nowadays because he's more of a normalized Republican idiot. Trump is this bombastic sort of breaking the norms type of idiot. But George Bush is infinitely worse. He did everything wrong and for actively murdering Americans, not because of the towers falling, not because it was some conspiracy theory, but because he just wanted to fucking have his, uh, his, his, uh, cabinet chiefs make a little bit of fucking scrilla. That was it. So thousands of Americans die. Who cares? Our corporate stocks went up. Mothers and fathers are grieving for their children destroyed in fucking improvised explosive devices. Who cares? Our stocks went up. This is America. And this is what drives me fucking crazy when I see shit like this. Because there are actual problems with this country. Genuine issues that need to be resolved. And instead... We're focused on 9-11 was an inside job. We're fo All right, this story is going to be talking about, it's not going to give you any answers and it's not going to be satisfying. That's partially why I'm bringing it up. But <laughs> it's actually just going to make you mad. Sorry. But um, there are no answers. Because if America provided answers to its citizens, this past January 6th would be a joke. We would realize how horrible our government takes care of us. How in seemingly direct opposition to our health and welfare, this country operates. 
But as long as there's two teams and we can just butt at each other and we can divide the nation, we can hate each other for no fucking reason, they get away with it. They can continue doing it. It's because of us. Because of idiots not wanting to take a vaccine that would potentially save their life or at least give them a little bit of an edge on a variant of the disease. It's because people don't want to fucking agree with someone on the opposite end of the aisle. It used to be the religion that divided people. I believe my God is this way. Well, your God is wrong because it's this way, clearly. Now, we are in the same government, the same country, and we hate each other because of a fucking color. Red or blue. That's it. Red or blue. It's like the Super Bowl every single day. We're down in the last quarter. Who's going to get that fucking dig in right? Who's going to have the best sound bite so that I can shit on everyone in social media and tell them how stupid they are because they're red or fucking blue? Meanwhile, the world is on fire. <laughs> and we care about teams. So in the wake of 9-11, aside from the money grubbing corporations diving in and just salivating and wetting their fucking lips and lining their pockets, there was a whole American population that dived into conspiracy theories because they couldn't believe that our government was so inept, so stupid. Well, it's true. We are. Now, not so stupid as to identify the problem or the potential threat. No, no, no. But too stupid to act on it because of the fucking appearance of that acting on it. If you don't have an active tragedy, going out of your way to prevent a tragedy, not so great a headline. Nothing happened, and they spent trillions of dollars to stop nothing happening. That's not exciting. But two towers fell, Hundreds of people, thousands of people lose their lives. America goes to war. That's a headline. And that's our culture. So. I don't even know if I need to read this guy, Mark. <laughs> I'm just going to continue bitching. This is from the Washington Post. Already, I hear the groans. The FBI has released the first of what are expected to be several documents from its investigation on whether agents of the Saudi Arabian government on whether the Saudi Arabian government provided support to the September 11th, 2001 terror plot. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's redacted. <laughs> I don't even need to read this article. I'm not even going to read it. I'm just going to tell you what happened. So America, its citizens are shouting, why the fuck are we supporting and selling arms like Trump boastfully did in his... Uh, presidency to Saudi Arabia, a country that is seemingly in direct opposition to our American democratic ideals. Why are we giving them arms? Why are we providing support for them when they're acti actively filtering those arms and money that we give them to terrorist groups who then attack us? So the whole supposition is that we're paying the people who are paying the people who are killing us. Or, in terrorist terms, trying to kill us. And the truth is, yeah, we are. 
this may be a surprise to those Americans with um, flag-colored glasses on. We created the problem in the Middle East that caused 9-11 to happen. We created the quagmire that caused us to stay for 20 years in Afghanistan. We are still creating the problem by continuing to back, support, and fund the Saudi Arabian government. And they are actively supporting terrorists and funding terrorists and giving arms and ammunition to terrorists that we're selling to them to attack us and our allies. Why? I couldn't answer that, honestly. The only thing that would make sense would be that we're making money. And that is such a hollow, such a disgustingly vile reason to do this. That no wonder why we come up with conspiracy theories. No wonder why we make up these excuses for our fucking leaders' behaviors to act in direct opposition to us. And no one seems to realize that government institutions are run by individuals who are there temporarily. And they're looking after their lives when they're out of government. They're using their influence while they're in to look out for their futures when they're out. We act like it's some sort of new stunning uh, idea when every election seems to come around. Like, oh, gasp, this person's child leveraged their father's or mother's name in order to make money. <laughs> Let me clutch my pearls. This has always happened. It will always happen because we can't, as an American society, seem to get past this color paradigm that is tearing us apart. We're too stupid as a society because we would rather focus on this new album drop from the greatest hip-hop artist of our generation. We're too excited to talk about our greatest new film that just uh, released in theaters for the first time after COVID pandemic. We're too divided to take a goddamn shot that will save your fucking life to focus on the real problems that are fucking actively destroying us. There are portions of this country that cannot drink out of their tap. Tap water is poisonous to them. And they just live their lives like that. There are parts of this country who cannot, they don't have water in their tap because of droughts. There are parts of this country that are continuously on fire because they have to continuously move further and further into forested terrain which needs to go through natural cycles of destruction and reinvigoration. There are far too many humans on this planet with far too shallow ideals about what it means to be an individual and how that extrapolates into a, a sense of community or society. And yet, we don't want this idea of society until it actually bites us in the ass when society fucks us. You're either in or you're out in a society. You don't get to straddle the fence on this one. And the truth is, is we're killing ourselves we're ignoring the reasons, and we're allowing media to tell us who to like and who not to like. And for every single one of you who engage in social media, you are literally in the Matrix. And if you don't know that reference, there's a new movie coming out to explain it, but you should probably go back and check out the first Matrix movies. The second two aren't so great, but the first one is gold. You'll understand.
But that's where we're living, man. We're living in a system of ones and zeros that's telling us how to feel, what to like, and what to not pay attention to. And we're listening to it. And so we make up bullshit reasons why stuff's so bad, like Q, or the political party that happens to be in power. And none of that's real. None of that's true. Apathy is the reason they're able to do it. Inaction on our individual parts is the reason they're able to do it, to divide us. And we don't have to be kumbaya. That's not what I'm saying. We can disagree. We can disagree about everything, but we can be civilized about it. That's not actually where I wanted to go with this. Love how your uh, religion voice is somehow noble and how highbrow compared to modern tribalism. <laughs> I never thought about that. I'm going to have to uh, adjust. Interestingly enough, TSA is wildly ineffective compared to pre-9-1. Yeah, and that's the other thing. <laughs> oh, Jeff. Oh. Yes. Here's the rub. Is <laughs> Not only did they make us super hyper-vigilant about everything, they made us worse at it. What? How could you add insult to injury? I mean, bravo, Al-Qaeda. You did it. You did exactly what you said you wanted to do. And we fell into it lockstep. And I gotta hand it to you, man. I don't like you, but you, you're successful. You did it. It sucks. But you did it. Such a... It sucks so bad. It just sucks when you you want you want your team, whatever that team may be, you know, whether it's your nation or your political side or you know whatever team you carve out for yourself as an individual. You want your team to be good so bad or at least fail graciously. But when you reflect on this country, which I genuinely dearly love and I've served and my parents have served and their grandparents have served. So I have a lineage of service to this country. So I, I respect it. But it's fucked. Right now. It's fucked. And I don't like the equivocation of saying that, oh no, America has always been divided. Yeah, America has always been divided. And people have tried to kill people. And there's been groups that rise up. And there's been a whole civil war. But we're in this active, passive, aggressive at best and running people down in the road and murdering them at worst. Tribalistic divide in this country. All these fucking ridiculous people uh, on the right are shouting about this. There's going to be a civil war if we have to take, uh, you know, wear masks again. If we have to take a vaccine, there'll be a civil war. Bitch, the civil war has been going for a decade. It's just been playing out in media, and you're too stupid to have realized it. In the same way that war, traditional war has evolved, traditional division of nations has evolved. You know, I can respect Afghanistan because they are literally in shit. And it's just now that they've had a taste of what freedom actually means, that they're standing up. They realize, oh, this religious stuff is bullshit. No, we can actually have a peaceful and successful and uh, uh, um, uh, 
prosperous nation without religion and we get individual rights. That sounds great. You know, they're at a, they're at a place right now where their future could be good in generations. Ours? I don't like to say it. I think our best days are behind us. And those weren't even good. If you look at history, America's never been a great place. We've had brief moments of respite. Brief moments of commercialism that's pervasive enough to make us feel like, oh, this is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, we're doing it right. But there's always been a rot underneath. It's eaten at us. Corrupted everything. And it'll continue that way. Because we're too stupid. We're too blinded. We're too much like those dogs in Up. Squirrel! Squirrel? That's not squirrel. That's us. We're the dogs in Up. And that's as good as it gets. Dummies. <laughs> Fucking dummies. All right. I got to step off this soapbox and get on a whole new one. Because we got another article to talk about. This is going to be a long show, people. I'm already an hour and I'm not even halfway through. If you stick with me, I appreciate it. But I'll respect if you step out. <laughs> New Yorkers react to Biden's vaccine mandate. Quote, it's going against everybody's will. I'm going to read it before I get into it. <laughs> this is from Fox News. People in New York City share their thoughts on President Biden's sweeping new COVID-19 vaccine mandate, which instructs employees at companies with over 100 workers to either get vaccinated or get tested for the virus weekly. The individuals that Fox News digitally spoke with in Manhattan were largely spit, split on the announcement, despite nearly 70% of New York County residents being vaccinated with at least one dose of a coronavirus vaccine. More than 60% is fully vaccinated. Quote, I agree with the mandate, said a woman. I think in order to get back to anywhere near normal, we need a vaccine mandate in place. But I think to keep other people safe, it's really important to get vaccinated. Quote, it's going against everybody's will, a man exclaimed. The rule will likely affect millions of workers and will also levy substantial fines up to $14,000 per infraction against companies that refuse to comply. Another man took it a step further and asserted that Biden's mandates even fell short adding that a nation is responsible to get people vaccinated because people who are not vaccinated pose a public risk and a threat to every other person. He later said he wasn't angry with the unvaccinated like Biden appeared to be in his September 9th speech. He just thought they were idiots. <laughs> the man added people who are not vaccinated should be compelled to do so and voiced his approval for more stringent mandates. Another man disagreed with Biden's mandate, saying that the rules should only apply to businesses that take federal funds. Another woman felt Biden's requirements for 100 and up employee businesses was a good idea because of the influx of COVID cases occurring. You got to follow the law, I guess, she added. New York City is seeing its borough level vaccination mandates nearly coinciding with Biden's announcement on the federal level. Mayor Bill de Blasio said back in July that he was requiring all New York City employees to be vaccinated or tested once per week for COVID-19 by September 13th. Some restaurants and businesses began enforcing vaccination identification checks back in August with the number steadily growing. This is like a no shit stupid situation. What is the president supposed to do? You have it 
portion of the gu- um, I'm sorry, the portion of the uh, citizenry who outright refuses, no matter what logic you throw at them, to get vaccinated. And so all he can do for public safety, because we have wild variants going out of control, and here's the rub, the vaccination out there does not give you 100% coverage over any of the variants, including the original, but it does provide varying degrees of support against those variations. So you can see it as, well, who cares about the original coronavirus when there's the Mu or there's the Delta variants out there and whatever other variants that I'm unaware of. Or you could say, well, I want to hedge my bets and I want to get at least a little bit of help as much as I possibly can. Well, aside from the vaccine, you can live a healthy and active lifestyle and that will also help. However, what do you as a president do? You're going to get blamed for the health and welfare of every single individual dying no matter what, even if they actively say and actively don't get the vaccine because it's happening right now. People are literally dying because they don't want to take the vaccine. Okay, well, the callous thing to say, something that I have been saying for a long time and I will continue saying is that if you don't want to get the vaccine, fuck off, get the, get the virus. If you survive, congratulations. If you don't, you deserve to die because you didn't hedge your bet. Life is worth living. It's the only one we've got, right? That's the way I see it anyway. So um, survival is uh, the imperative here, people, right? If you have a chance to hedge your bet against it, why wouldn't you? But some people don't want to. Again, going back to the previous article, because of fucking tribalism. It's a political issue now. Even when their president, their famed, uh, you know, commander in chief that they want to make the dictator forever, Trump, when he says get the vaccine, even then they say no. Okay, well, let them let them get the virus then. Just expose them to it. The truth is, is that in every study I've ever seen, people who get the virus and live through it are actually better off with the variants than the people who get the vaccine. So, okay, we're at a point where who gives a fuck anymore? If they don't want to get the virus, I don't know, maybe we could just set a mandate and everyone who didn't want to get a virus go to line A and everyone who did get a virus go to line B. Line A gets injected with the active live virus and we just cut our fucking losses. We forced virus... Um, vaccinations and disease vaccinations in the past in this country for the sake of the greater public. And this is what I'm talking about when I talk about a society. Individualism only works up until a point. When you live in a society and you take the benefits of that society, you have to accept that outside of your total environment, your individualism diminishes respectively. That's the result of being a member of a society of enjoying the benefits of a society. You accept it or you don't, but that's the reality of it. So in the same way that we have laws restricting you from doing what are, again, because of laws, illegal activities, let's fucking put legislation out there saying if there's a massive pandemic sweeping our nation that is continually setting out new variants, 
You have to get a shot, period. Now, are there problems with the vaccinations? Yes. Are there problems with the companies who are making massive amounts of money off of our civilian-funded vaccination research? Yeah. They didn't pay for those virus uh, studies and development. We did as citizens. We paid for them. Who's getting the money from all of these free vaccinations? They are from us. We paid them to develop the vaccination and we're paying them to get the vaccination, not directly, but through government, which we are paying in taxes. So no matter how you look at it, we're paying twice for something that's not that great at defending us from a pretty serious threat sweeping our entire planet. <laughs> this is much bigger than just get a shot and you're okay. Because this feeds into our entire narrative of how our country works. And that's why it's so complicated, I think. You can't just be on team A or team B of, of take the vaccination or I don't want to take the vaccination. You have to recognize what taking the vaccination or not taking the vaccination means. And the reality of getting it. There are breakthrough cases of people who get the vaccination and still get sick. Yeah, it's like birth control. You put a condom on, sometimes you boys are going to get through. <laughs> it doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes it does. Birth control for women, it's not 100%. Sometimes those, uh, the boys break through. <laughs> it just happens. Nothing is 100% in this world. But you can hedge your bet. The fact that we're dealing with a situation where a president who literally has like hands in the air, I don't know what to do. The people don't want to get the vaccine. They're actively dying from the vaccine. But I'm not going to be the asshole that says, okay, fuck off and die. I mean, I would be that asshole. But no president politically would, maybe Trump, but no other president would be that asshole. So he's doing the best he can. He's putting out mandates. Like, look, if you're in the government, if you're in a state government, you have to run these. I don't see that as so horrible. If you're working in a local or federal government position or in a corporation that's so large that it's actually superseding the small region that you live in and it becomes a global entity of in and of itself, well, then, yeah, then you need to look out for the greater world at large, not just your own community. I don't care if one community dies of COVID in and of itself. I care if that one community spreads it to the rest of the goddamn globe, which is what happened. So what do you do? What do you do? I don't understand why people are giving this guy such a bad rap. You know, Trump did it horribly because he downplayed it. This guy is overplaying the hand. But like, whether you're downplaying it or you're overplaying it, ultimately kind of just hoping things work out in a world where we're so divided we can't even agree on the flavor of vanilla <laughs> like we're screwed again we don't deserve to be on this planet as a species not anymore maybe a hundred years ago maybe 200 years ago maybe a thousand years ago we deserved it because we were in line with nature a little bit more but now we don't even know what nature is how many of you have walked through the woods in the past year? How many of you have actually like seen the Milky Way in the sky? 
this past year? The past decade. How many of you just live your entire lives in a city or in an urban environment where there is literally only set aside institutional nature called parks? And if it wasn't for parks, you would never explore the actual world where we as a species came from. <laughs> now, I would like to think that it's like 60% of people have, 40% haven't. I got a sneaky suspicion it's a lot worse than that. We, 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 are, we don't deserve it anymore. We just don't. I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again. We've worn our welcome and we don't deserve to be on this planet. We're the worst. The worst. <laughs> Not morally, but subjectively. We're just, we're the worst to each other. We don't care about right or wrong. We just care about teams. It's all about teams. Genetically, uh, I mean, um, that's how we survived. That's how we evolved was by tribalistic attitudes. And it worked for us for a very long time. I... We've kind of, in a, in a global economy, tribalism is poison. And we can actively see that right now, anywhere in the news and anywhere in real life. And here's the worst part about it. And it's why I, I harsh on social media so much. I mean, I live in Utah. Utah is a deeply conservative and overarching Republican-controlled state. I... I'm a social progressive, but I'm a conservative fiscally. I can walk anywhere and have a pleasant conversation with anyone here. There is no, like, on the individual level, like, I hate you because you're, you know, the, the fucking patriarchy. I, you know, you're, you're the white man. You're the problem. It doesn't matter whom I'm talking to. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. People can be pleasant and you don't freak out. But as soon as you get online, as soon as you have just the slightest bit of anonymity, we're our worst. Not our best, our worst. That's part of the problem. Yes. Go right back to the matrix, Anton. <laughs> we are a virus. All right. I like I love life. I don't want to die. I, you know, I don't think human beings should stop existing in the world. It's just, at some point, we have to realize that maybe the guy who disagrees with your opinion shouldn't die. <laughs> Can we just start there? Like, just because you disagree on something doesn't mean you have to die. Let's start there and we'll, we'll build from that point. But if we could just get to that point, <laughs> I would feel so much better about humanity. But we're not even there! We're not even there! Motherfuckers are thrown off buildings in Iraq when uh, ISIS was in control because they just happened to enjoy fucking other men. They were thrown off buildings. They weren't trying to fuck the guys that were throwing them off. They just happened to have a fucking a flair about them that they liked. Like, eh, this is my taste. Yeah, I like this. You like that. They threw them off a goddamn building. That's our world right now. Women are being murdered. I don't know why I giggled when I said that. Women are being murdered in Afghanistan by the Taliban. Because they dare 
to speak out about individual rights. Right now, right now. And we can't fucking get past this idea that I don't need to agree with you. Okay, you, you, you believe this? Okay, that's fine. Believe that. I believe this. We can't even get there. Not even in our society. In our supposedly enlightened American society. Pinkies out and everything. We're still running motherfuckers over with cars because we disagree with them. <laughs> Fuck, man. We don't deserve this. None of it. None of it. All right, let's do a little creature feature. I'm running late. You're right, Jeff. I was just pointing out that it, it, it's not something in the past. It's like an active thing. Pervasive is a better word. All right. I haven't blocked any quotes. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't believe in blocking people's ideas. I just like making fun of them. Empire of the Summer Moon. For every one of you who think you know anything <laughs> about the indigenous peoples of North and South America, I would like to submit <laughs> that you don't know shit. Because... <laughs> I was one of those that thought, yeah, I have a basic idea about yeah, what tribes in North America were like. Because as a white man who came in and subjugated, murdered, forced sterilized, and tore away these individuals from their <laughs> ancestral homes because of, you know, manifest destiny and all that, um, I thought I knew. <laughs> this book blows it wide open. It is brilliant. It is infectious and it is brutal. We have this, I don't even know where it came from. We have this idea about Native Americans as being like peaceful and loving, almost like they were hippies, but they just like to live in teepees more than, you know, gentrified neighborhoods. <laughs> no, no. We like to pretend that white men created slavery and that, you know, we were the real root of all problems in this world. No, we did not invent slavery. Sorry. White men may be evil, but we're not the beginning and end of it. We're just carrying on a tradition, a rich tradition that all native peoples, no matter where you are regionally, have upheld it and engaged in slavery, rape, abuse that's a human trait not a white person trait if we can understand that and respect that then we can have a conversation because that's the truth you get into this and holy shit first of all some of the more banal things that i discovered in this book that i i don't know i i assumed that native americans because there were roving herds of horses like always rode horses no they didn't. The Spanish taught them that. Yeah. I'm stupid. I assumed that they always were a part of that because it, they were, it was like, why wouldn't you get on that animal 
it's running through your planes. But no, they didn't. It took a Spanish Catholic burning your culture down to teach you to ride a damn horse. But as soon as they learned, the Comanches, they took it to a whole new level. They could do shit on horse that no European ever dreamed of. No one was as deadly or talented on a horse in all of the history of humans ever riding animals as the Comanches were on horseback. No one. And that says something. Attila the Hun devastated Asia because of riding horses and bows and arrows. He didn't have shit on Comanches. <laughs> if there was a way for him to bridge that land gap and the Spanish had already taught uh, the Comanches about horses, the Comanches would have tore Attila the Hun apart. All of his armies. It was, it was a war culture. And this idea of morals that I was talking about earlier, for Comanches, it was not a problem to take your enemy, which was literally anyone, not just other tri native tribes, but any white man or, or Spanish or anyone, anyone's women and gang raping them. That was just part of the thrill of war. It wasn't like they were trying to desecrate them. It was just, that was what you did. No moral judgments about it. You would take children. Sometimes you would incorporate them into your tribe and enslave them. Sometimes you would rape them and murder them. Sometimes you would just crack open an infant's skull in front of the mother just to show how badass of a native tribe you are. And that was their morality. It's easy for us as this modern sensibility to reflect on this tribal culture and say, oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> I don't know that it's any more disgusting than the behaviors that we engage in on a day-to-day -day basis, calling for the deaths of some of us or the deaths of women who are six weeks pregnant, not wanting to have the kid anymore. Like we, we are, <laughs> I wish our modern culture could experience a fraction of the reality that our ancestors experienced simply 200 years ago. That's it. Just 200 years ago. Because that would mean the extermination of the majority of the pieces of shit humans that exist in our culture today. <laughs> and we need it. Desperately bad. I'm blown away by the genuinely horrific behavior of... I don't know why. I don't know why I thought that North American, you know, sort of lines drawn continent uh, was somehow better than the Middle East culture in the same time frame. Human beings are human beings. It doesn't matter where you live. The behavior we exhibit may be informed slightly by the culture that we engage in, but it's pretty much like silent as consent. I'm going to do this thing because I want to do this thing. I don't even necessarily know, need to know why I want to do this thing, but I'm going to do it. And if no one says no, shit, it's a norm. <laughs> I'm just going to go about and rape and murder and, and do my thing. And it, that's literally the Comanche tribe. <laughs> they, they, they ran the fucking entire North America.
They're the most powerful. And when uh, the American Indian Wars came around, there was no one more respected, no one more feared. And what they never did, which I think is so interesting, that European Victorian sensibilities have always done, was attribute this idea of family being somehow blood exclusive. Um, they're entire native tribes that are not related to each other at all. They're literally adopted into the family. And if the, the further you look back at human culture, my background is Scottish. Um, my Scottish ancestry is the exact same. You were Clan Campbell, which is my, my family surname. Um, it didn't matter if you were actually born a different family. If we raised you, you were then able to adopt the name and be part of the greater family clan or group. And we would protect you like that. Um, that's how human beings have always been. It, it's only until the Victorian era and later, you know, the 1900 sensibilities of needing family to be literal blood from son to father to father to father to father, that that's only what family means. That never existed before Victorian sensibilities. Family was who had your back and who accepted you, you know, in your tribe, in your group, in your clan. And that's exactly the same way as the Native Americans were, the indigenous tribes of North America and South America. You, you could be a, literally a slave captured during wartime or just during a regular raid. It didn't even have to be open war. And you could be then indoctrinated into the tribe and ultimately, in some cases, a, a full-fledged member of the tribe. You could be white and be a full-fledged member of a Native tribe. That's what this, this book is it giving you stories about it. So, okay. This was written, I, I'm like going way off into it without actually telling you anything about it. Um, this is written by S.C. Gwynn. Its, it's full title is Empire of the Summer Moon, Quanah Parker and the Rise and Fall of the Comanches, the most powerful Indian tribe in American history. Uh, the, it, it got a bunch of awards like finalist for the uh, Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Critics Circle Award, a New York Times notable book, winner of the Texas Book Award and Oklahoma Book Award. Um, and then here's the, the sort of long explanation from the publisher. In the tradition of Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, a stunningly vivid historical account of the 40-year battle between Comanche Indians and the white settlers for control of the American West, centering on Quanah, the greatest Comanche chief of them all. S.C. Gwynn's Empire of the Summer Moon spans two astonishing stories. The first traces the rise and fall of the Comanches, the most powerful Indian tribe in American history. The second entails one of the most remarkable narratives ever to come out of the West, the epic saga of the pioneer woman Cynthia Ann Parker and her mixed-blood son, Quanah, who became the last and greatest chief of the Comanches. This is a great story that just, not only because of the historical facts that are, for the first time, shared with you um, as, as a, a modern reader, but also the, the sheer brutality of humanity and the realization that everything you thought about these people was wrong. You know, um, <clears throat> Oliver Stone produced a series, a limited series on Netflix called um, 
um, the untold history or the unknown history of America or something like that. I can't, I can't exactly remember. But it basically talks about America's um, political and wartime machine from our beginning to the Reagan era, I believe. And it's stunning because we're not taught any of this in a, American schools. You know, we're taught this rosy picture, and of course we are because it's propaganda. We're, we're, we're literally uh, brainwashing our citizens into being patriots. Of course, why would a nation not do that? It makes perfect sense. But we're in a position now in our world where we can break out of the propaganda and we can actually look at the objective realities rather than what we're just force-fed, right? Rather than the pro propaganda that we're fed. This is just one of those windows into the realities that we just don't know about or was never painted as vividly and honestly. It doesn't create this rosy picture of Native Americans, but equally, it doesn't paint a rosy picture of like the American government and the American people and what we did. It's just a matter-of-fact retelling like he was... Uh, an honest news reporter from days gone by, because that doesn't exist anymore either, where there was no personal opinion, no objective, just a retelling of facts. And it's, it's engaging and it's exciting and it's a little bit terrifying and it's grotesque. It's everything you want about a fictional story, except that it's not fiction. That's what's so great about it. I highly recommend, again, I'm only halfway through. It may shit the bed in the last half. I'm open to that. But right now, it is totally worth the money spent, and I highly recommend anyone that is interested in American or Native American history, pick up this book. Because what you think you know, chances are you're way fucking off track. And it's so much more interesting when you find out the truth than the bullshit fairy tales we're told. It is so much more interesting and engaging. Zachary, you're right. 100%. Humans are savages. <laughs> Bunch of savages in this town. That's what I said. Clerks. All right. Um, thanks for hanging in a half an hour late, everyone. For those of you who did, I appreciate it. I know I went off in a little bit more self-righteous ranting on this episode than I do in... Well, now that I think about it, I think I always go off on a bunch of self-righteous ranting. <laughs> So I appreciate you hanging in there, even when you disagree with me. I appreciate it. And please, if you do disagree, let me know. Don't just sit on your hands and just say that Reverend Campbell is a piece of shit. I don't agree with him. You may have information that I am not aware of. I may be ignorant to the facts that you understand. And so I would like you to educate me. So please, let me know what you think. I love to read the notes. I love to read the comments. I may not reply to all of them and I may just disagree with you, but I still enjoy hearing your perspectives. And ultimately, when everything is at the end, right? When the rubber comes to the road, it's okay to disagree. It's okay. Different perspectives. That's what makes life interesting. It doesn't mean we have to kill each other because of them. It's okay. You don't have to have my opinions, and I don't have to share yours. However, I do personally think we should have to hear them. 
Well, that's it for this nine cents. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you guys for uh, so much for tuning in. If you want to learn more about Satanism or the Church of Satan, check out churchofsatan.com um, or read the Satanic Bible. It's like a couple bucks and it's filled with amazing wit and wisdom. It'll do you good <laughs> for real. And uh, let's see what else. If you want to support this channel, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel, of course. Uh, sign up to the email list if you want to hear about what I'm going to be talking about next. Tomorrow, I've got a Satanist on Cinema coming, so uh, tune into that. I think that's it. Have a fantastic week, everyone. Hail Satan. Let's let's all just try to stop being douches. Can we just do that? Just if if you're gonna make a decision in life, think. Does this make me a douche? <laughs> and if it does, go another way. Try it. You might like it. Hail Satan. Fuck. <laughs>